and welcome to Alternative Play. I'm your host, JC. For those of you new to the show, Alternative Play is a podcast where we introduce you to those who dwell in the nerd and kink communities. We cover the gambit on alternative lifestyles and those who create content within all media. Alternative Play will cover topics that are quite adult in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So, Alternative Play is honored tonight to welcome a prominent member of Central Oregon's kink community, Master White Owl. And I'll give him a chance to give a personal introduction in a moment, but I kind of would like to point out a few of his accomplishments before we start. So, uh, Master White Owl currently runs Rebel Kink in Central Oregon, and we'll definitely ask him about that. Uh, He has been leading the Central Oregon community. Uh, King Community since around 2011, and he was given the master title by the Central Oregon King Community. Um, I have a date, but I'm but we'll definitely talk to you about when that happened as well. So, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing fine. So, let's go ahead before we jump into the topics at hand. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I kind of fell into BDSM and kink and the uh, dominant submission dynamic uh, about when I met my my wife that I'm currently with. Before then, I believe that I had kind of been living out that type of a role without really understanding what I was doing. It's just kind of genetic in my family, I guess. But uh, then as I started researching and finding people to teach me, I found my, my place and my role as an impact dominant. And uh, ever since then, it's just kind of really taken off. Our uh, our community here was n- so non-existent that you couldn't even call it non-existent. Um, and things were kind of unsafe for people who were looking for anything to do. So when I saw that opening, I said, well, you know, I guess it might as well be me. And here I am. <laughs> I'm actually in Southwest Connecticut, and believe it or not, for something that's so close to New York City, Connecticut doesn't have a particular close-by scene. You kind of have to either go out to Hartford or go back into the city for it. So I can definitely understand on that part. I can believe that. A lot of times you get into some of the more suburban areas and you just get kind of a, you know, people having a fear of taking control of things because of maybe being found out or, or whatnot. So yeah, people like to hide in the anonymity of large cities for sure. Yeah, I grew up in uh, San Francisco, California, and um, we had things like Bondage Agogo, which you know was a industrial club mixed with a BDSM club, which was mixed with an even hardcore BDSM club upstairs if you knew the right people to get in there. So, and just various various events at the IBM and DNA Lounge, and so growing up, uh, the erotic exotic ball, another huge example. So these are all things that I grew up with from a very young age. So it's just the culture there. It never, it kind of baffled me that when I went out into suburbia, that people were hiding who they were. And it was just, it was kind of a bizarre feeling. Cause it's like, wow, I come from a place where most people are pretty open about what they do and kind of wear it proudly on their shoulders. And now I'm in a place where people think that kinksters walk around in dark cloaks and hide in alleys. So it's, um, you know, it's, it was definitely a change uh, of mindset. Yeah, we have kind of a, a very strange dichotomy happening here where the, the kink community is very kind of like a large family. Basically, we all watch out for each other and everybody's really open once they're involved. But then also it's still kind of a small town where we are. 
So the local populace isn't necessarily that accepting. And we're trying to reconcile that gap between those two things. And that's great. I mean, honestly, there needs to be a venue. There needs to be a a beacon uh, for those of those people who are in kink scene. I mean, realistically, any alternative lifestyle, it's really nice that there's a place to to look forward to to go or a community to be with. Because sometimes I think a lot of times people kind of shut down and uh, they don't particularly seek it, or they they stick to their online forums and. You know, we were talking before the show that, you know, how dangerous that can get sometimes when you're not particularly, you know, making sure watching where you're stepping. So, well, right. And that's kind of like what I had noticed when I first started this community out here uh, was just simply the lack of ability to network. And when you can network, you can find safety in numbers and people with knowledge, really. So I kind of started as I learned and grew, I started teaching what I knew to people. And then I started getting recognized by other people who knew what they were doing, which brought in, you know, a lot of people with really big experience actually into the Central Oregon community who were willing to to teach and give their advice. And so we actually somehow, oddly enough, managed to create this vibrant little island within the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of kind of been my passion for a while now. Uh, that's great. So now there's uh, a couple things that you mentioned when we're kind of doing um, your interview survey before we did the show. So you mentioned Rebel Kink and the COAAC. Um, is that are those acronyms for the community that you're part of or? Uh, yeah, actually. So uh, COAAC or COAC was basically the first echelon of what we started out here. When we arrived, there had been one person who was trying to hold munches that would sometimes have one person. <laughs> and uh, he, he quickly went, hey, you guys have charisma. Let's see what you can do. So I came up with that, which was basically uh, Central Oregon All Ages Kink. Uh, obviously, All Ages being 18 and up, but uh, you kind of get yeah. what I'm saying. Um, so that kind of went on for several years, about uh, six years, seven years. Uh, and then we decided that we needed to kind of take a step back. You know, you get burnt out running every single event, teaching every single thing, trying to organize every single thing in the area. And so we kind of brought in as many good people as we could and said, here, have at it. And uh, when that became a thing that was no longer, it, it never really died away, but it wasn't as vibrant. People weren't really coming out to do stuff. We decided, you know, the community has split enough that we can leave that as it is and start Rebel Kink and do our own private and advanced events, um, you know, private house parties and things where people that really have skill could come along and utilize that skill in front of other people. Out here, we don't really have the luxury of of clubs like in big places like San Francisco. You just you don't have the support from local law enforcement or the community, things like that. The zoning committees that allow you to have the permits for those sorts of places. So it ends up having to be a more underground scene. And with Rebel, we've been able to really highly vet people and make sure that when we have events, even if they're like 60 people, that every single person is highly skilled, highly knowledgeable, and highly safe. 
I misunderstood. So do you actually do you have venues that you do this at or you actually do it in your own homes? Well, we do a lot of things in private person's homes. Uh, we'll rotate throughout the community, but there are also local venues as well that hold events. Um, we do a lot of liaising with anybody who's cropping up to try and get together events in the community that are a lot more pro- high profile the community uh, just had and been uh, down the rabbit hole uh, show, which was basically, so there's a local burlesque company also. And so they held at a, at a large venue for here uh, an event called down the rabbit hole. And it was basically like a, a uh, you know, introduced the public to kink. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can pay your $50, come in and watch what we do. that's great though and again going back to someone who may be interested in an area where they've only really seen i don't know something on a video or something in a book and it just incredibly turned them on and wanted to experience what that's like that's really nice that that exists you can take advantage of that i totally agree i mean uh you know having the ability to to outreach to other people that are doing different things now is is really great. Um, we also tried to be really varied here in this community. Usually, like if somebody comes along with a good idea, we try and jump right on it, support them as much as we can, and then we do all kinds of stuff too, as well as like uh, we have teamed up Rebel Kink with a local um, lingerie and corset shop and had fashion shows and things like that. So. You know, it's, it's kind of, we're trying to do everything that we can to help build as mainstream of a community in Central Oregon, which is actually larger than most people would think, and, and make it really vibrant, like if you were to go to, say, Portland or Seattle or somewhere like that. So how do you get the word out? So let's just say I'm your, I'm your average person, maybe semi-vanilla that just kind of really had all these ideas about, oh, I want experiences, I want to see what this is. FetLife is not something that, and I, I don't want to get on my grumpy old man tirade about FetLife, but it's um, FetLife is hard to navigate. And for someone, like my first time going on FetLife, I was like overwhelmed. I was going like, what the hell do I do here? What are some ways that you get your information out? Uh, well, I can agree with you on the FetLife stuff. Um, you know, not that FetLife itself is bad. Obviously, it's a great platform if you know how to use it right. Mm-hmm. You know, but it did kind of become like the place where all of the people went to that were just looking for action after Craigslist casual encounters closed, you know? So we try to to keep lively talk, topics going on there, but it's not exactly easy. So we kind of take more of a hands-on approach. Within my community, we have people that are tapped for doing like liaising with other communities, like say Eugene, uh, Salem, Portland, places like that, where we can tie together our communities and do big stuff, hopefully. And then we do a lot of like real personal outreach. So we'll have like my household, House White Owl, has basically like a, you know, submissive liaison, a switches liaison, a dominance liaison. They're people who are tasked with connecting with these people as they come into our community and trying to get them pointed in the direction of everything that's going on. Uh, So, you know, that's usually instead of having a big giant event that's on blast in the local reader or whatever magazine is around here, 
you know, we'll actually personally approach these people and say, hey, we would like to invite you to an event, show you what we're doing, see if you're interested, bring you to some coffee discussions, you know, et cetera. But, uh, you know, that's kind of also falls more into our same, uh, you know, small town family feel too. You, you just kind of don't do things the same way as you would in a large town, even though this town is like, I think over now 200,000 people here and it's like 80,000 people in the next town over. And since we encompass all of central Oregon, it's like everybody in between too. All right. That's wow. And it, it just kind of seems that things are growing and growing, which is also just great to hear, allowing people to kind of express themselves. And, you know, I was having a conversation with um, a friend, actually, I think today, actually, the weird conversations you end up having, not with your coworkers, but, you know, friends that you have. And, um, or sometimes your coworkers too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I work for a, a, a major, the corporate office is a major friend, um, fast food franchise, or as I like to call it, QSR these days. But um, everyone there is like really fun and nerdy, but I really kind of, you know, I, I try not to. I'll inject little bits of it and then wait for a reaction, but I'm still not at that point yet where I feel that um, people are just going to look at me weird. But going back to what I was talking about is um, when you open it up and a lot of people come in, a lot of people have interest, is that it's so unhealthy to, and this is probably going to lead into one of the topics that you wanted to talk about, and it's so unhealthy to not express yourself, uh, to hold that in. You know, even if it's something that you go out and you go in, oh, wow, I, I went to see him, I, I saw a movie. I, I hate to, it even makes me cringe to go, I saw Fifty Shades of Grey. But things like that, you know, hey, this, this looks interesting. This might be something I've wanted all along. And to keep that in and to go down the wrong path of expression uh, can be really harmful, even to, to one's, um, one's psyche, because you, you have this idea in your head of what things are. And if no one's there to hold your hand, really, and introduce you to things properly, you're going to be introduced to it wrong, which is going to color a perception and something that maybe you were meant to do. Maybe you were meant to be this incredible submissive who, you know, who just can, can freely give herself and form a really good dynamic with someone else to someone who's now afraid of it or thinks of it badly because of, of one experience. But one of the topics I know you wanted to talk about is healthy BDSM and domination submission. And what does that look like? And I think that's probably a great lead into this topic. Yeah, um what you're talking about is is basically a lot deeper than I think maybe even even you're saying. Um you know, you have a lot of things happen to people over their lives and being involved in a DS dynamic or, you know, being heavily involved into bondage or something like that is sometimes for people a huge, like a release, uh, a, you know, a psychiatric centering for them. There's so many different facets of what we do that it makes it really important that, I mean, at least in my opinion, that people do get on the right path, so to say, in air quotes. You know, you get all these people who kind of come into the community and there's always going to be that group of predatory coyotes hanging out on the outskirts waiting to pounce on anybody new and 
a lot of times those people never really make it into where they can find a healthy situation. That's kind of sad to me. Um, you know, like we were talking about before, it's, it's, you know, you see somebody come in, you think they have potential and somebody grabs a hold of them, does them wrong and they never appear again. And you just, you always wonder what happened to them. But, you know, as far as healthy expression goes, I think that in a lot of ways, uh, DS dynamic especially can help people work through things that have happened to them. Now, this is by no means me saying that something has to have happened to you in order for you to be interested in this stuff. But for people that have really experienced heavy trauma, whether it be violent or violently mental trauma or something like that, you know, giving that person a venue to be able to take their power back in a way that they choose in the time that they choose and with the person that they choose is extremely important. And when they can't do that, because the situation is convoluted and they can't get where they need to go, it's just kind of a really sad thing. It's something that there needs to be more of what you do with outreach out there. Um, definitely. And also, too, I think, again, not waving my old man cane in the air, but I also kind of feel that the internet has also done a lot of harm more than, well, not more than good, probably equal shares of which, um, be- right. because it gives people, it, it hides them so that anonymity, that, you know, I can project myself as whoever I want to be, even though I'm not that person. And when you have someone who is truly looking for something, and it works both ways, it could be a dominant who's looking for a submissive, and there's no one in the area, and they meet someone on the internet, and they just meet some girl who just wants to play this game and, you know, do whatever, launder money or take money from them, or, and it works the other way around too, where I see more often than not some guy coming in and being like, yeah, no, I, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this Dom. And what I want you to do is take off all your clothes. And that's the first thing I want to see. It's not even like, hi, I'm so-and-so. It's just like, take off your clothes. Let me see this. Let me see that. And yeah, there really needs to be, I don't know, either there needs to be more education in the sense of educating people what to look for if they are looking online or education enough to kind of go, all right, online is kind of fun to talk in a group and show a couple of nudes or whatnot, but honestly, this is not where I'm going to look for a relationship. And, you know, even going into things like Second Life, Second Life is a great, great tool. Like, honestly, I don't do it much, but in my opinion, it's a great way for someone to say, this is how I want to live. I can't do it for whatever reason on the surface, but at least I can virtually live that life here. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I actually uh, incidentally got my start on Second Life. You know, I used to do HTML programming in order to make a little bit of money here and there and, you know, building things like castles and such for people. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I actually ended up running into some real people in the real community in the Netherlands who were really knowledgeable and they kind of were like, you actually sound like you might be into these things that our group is doing that we're buying this stuff for. Uh, and they were setting up basically an online, um, uh, basically a kink university for free in Second Life so that anybody who wanted to learn could come and basically attend classes, almost like a college, but online. 
and uh, and learn how to kink, basically. And I thought it was fantastic. This was in the, the beginning echelons of Second Life when it was still really, really vibrant and not you know known for what it's known for now. But as to what you were saying before, it, it's absolutely true. And I learned this through Second Life. Anybody can hide behind a keyboard and pretend to be a strong dominant for 20 minutes behind a computer screen. But when you have somebody's actual life and their heart and their emotions in your hands in person, it's this situation that I don't think a lot of people ever even consider just how difficult it is, just how much care it takes, just how important it is. And that's kind of why I use the internet a lot to help with outreach, but in order to pull people into a personal situation where they're really meeting real people who want to help them and be there for them as a safety network. You know, you, you're talking about uh, fake doms and fake submissives and stuff, and that stuff happens so much. But in real life, it's really easy to spot that. You know, you're always going to have your people who are good at playing people over, whether it's online or real life. But in real life, you can look at somebody and you can see, hey, this person is just trying to get over. This person's not really a dominant. They're just here for sex. This person is not really a submissive. They're playing some sort of a game to try and snag somebody, you know, and, and that's kind of where the black pit of the internet becomes a real problem is that those people have free reign to do whatever they want. And there's really no way to stop them except for just trying to put out as much good information as you can and hoping people stumble on it. Yeah, and also the the scene has changed a lot. So I was uh, in my last uh, last interview I did with uh, James Despero, the one that should be appearing in December at some point. I was talking about how personally, so when I first kind of I guess dabbled or dipped my toes into the scene, it was like 1988, 89. Mm -hmm. So it was very early on, and back when that happened. It was pretty much, yeah, I mean, I had to find a community by pretty much either going to a club or an event, which, you know, wasn't all that hard because it was San Francisco. There was pretty much everything going on at most points anyway. But it always seemed very respectful to a degree. It was um, it, more often than not, if you showed interest, there would be usually some there, someone there who would be interested in talking to you. Or in my case, I met someone who, who mentored. And a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, a lot of things going on, just proper protocol. And also it was, it seemed to be a very more high protocol scene, at least from what I remember. And then I kind of, kind of fell off the, the wagon there for a little bit or just, you know, disappeared. I got married, my first marriage, uh, which was to a very Italian Catholic family. And that kind of just stopped anything that was going on so but i but i wanted to be you know at, at that point i was still young and i was like you know what i'm gonna be the good husband and i'm gonna you know kind of put all these things aside but recently and i say in the past couple of years i had met um not my first but i guess my first um submissive after a while and we had a we had a small thing going uh, and but one of the things that i noticed as i started getting back in is that it was almost kind of the Dorothy waking up and everything is technicolor because the world had changed where you almost found a certain stereotype at most BDSM clubs and that wasn't the case anymore. It got really it got really diverse really fast. Um, and also again, you know, things that we were just talking about where uh, people just kind of immediately doing this identification as a certain type but weren't really that type and 
harder to basically, yeah, call their bullshit when they're behind a keyboard and not particularly when you can actually see them in person and watch them stumble and almost kind of find it funny sometimes. But it's really strange to kind of see the scene in 1988 to say 95, 96, and then wake up again and start seeing the scene again in like 2013, 2014. So right, yeah, I I have noticed a, a very similar thing, and you know, I think that originally the high protocol was a really good thing because it protected people too. You had these protocols, and you had to be vouched for, and you had to be taught, and you had to be able to prove your worth before people who knew what they were doing before you could do anything. And I feel like that cut down on a lot of the predation on new people and things like that, you know, and then, you know, as you were talking about in the, in the early to mid nineties and stuff like that, you have the internet and chat rooms and geo cities and stuff, making it so much easier to kind of play out online fantasies, which, you know, I still think was a good thing. I think that it, it brought in so many people who could express themselves in so many different ways that hadn't been done before, which is always, you know, innovation is what we want to have, right? So, you know, but then we've gotten into a point recently where it, it's literally just become this super easy way to create abuse. And I'm not sure in all of my thinking and doing and whatever, how, you know, how to combat that. I mean, I, I hope I'm doing a good uh, thing by trying to person to person outreach, but realistically, that's such a huge problem that I don't see how we fix that. You know what I mean? No, exactly. One of the um, a friend of mine classifies herself or identifies as a as a little, and we were having a conversation one day because again, she was single. Well, she's no longer single, but at one point she was single and she was getting really depressed because she couldn't find anybody. But she kept getting hit on by all these people, and she said something to me that just really kind of rung true, which was there just because you're a domineering man does not mean that you're a dominant. Like th those are two different things. So you can be the biggest domineering asshole on the block. It does not make you a dominant because that title should carry a lot more than just being mean and abusive because that's not what that even is close to. Oh, I totally agree. Um, you know, there's not a lot of people out there and I feel fortunate to have earned my status. I didn't know it was going to happen to me. It was kind of a surprise that it was given to me. There was a, a, a massive vote taken and there couldn't be any no's. And this was all going on without me understanding or knowing that it was even going to happen. But that was my community saying to me, hey, we trust you. <laughs> so I, I kind of wish more people were were involved in situations like that. But it's all too easy nowadays to just say, I'm master so-and-so, get on your knees for me, and people will do it. And then they get hurt. Basically, to just kind of mention to the listeners that we actually met in a, um, an Agorian chat room. Right. And the, the one thing about gore is by protocol you refer to people as master it's just your title uh, or in parts of gore you're referred to as jarl but in a sense it's master because of the way the protocol and the narrative flows but there is truly a difference between being what's called a free in gore and being called a master to actually being someone that earns that title I had a person who was helping mentor me, uh, and he was actually a when I met him a seventy eight year old grandmaster in 
in a community, which I don't want to mention and everything like yeah. that because of privacy. But uh, he, you could tell he earned his spot. He had his reasons why people trusted him. He knew everything. I mean, and he still had this nature about him where he was as inquisitive as a brand new person on day one. And I had asked him at one time, I said, you know, how come you act that way towards people that are clearly giving you accolades and treating you with deference and and things like that, but you still act like every single person around you could possibly know a ton more than you. And he said, you know, basically the day that you stop learning is the day that you're just a fake. And then he also told me that, and this is something that I say as like kind of my mantra to people, which is you can learn something from anybody, no matter how new they are. It doesn't matter if they're day one or, you know, day 10 million years, you can learn something new from anybody. And that's kind of been something that I wanted to emulate from him is that I am never done learning. And I think anybody who has earned an actual title is not done learning. And you you can see that in their actions and their behavior, that they respect the fact that anybody else out there, no matter who they are, could have a piece of information that they need. Yeah, and it's it also shows a passion. It also shows a dedication to things, no matter what it is, whether we're talking lifestyle or just random things in real life. The day we stop learning is the day we stop breathing, or at least it should be. Right. We should always strive to, to take something one, one step further or perfect something that maybe we feel that needs to be perfected. And a lot of times people will learn something or they will get that title or they will get that sort of respect and then just sit there and go, well, I guess I've done it all. So I'm just going to you know go over there and look cool. So. Yeah, and that kind of complacency is is pretty dangerous too. That's usually, you know, getting onto a slightly different topic. That's when you're going to hurt somebody is when you decide that you know everything. <laughs> so when we talk about um, DS and going into say MS and the the other multiple forums, uh, you know, DDLG and things like that. So in your community, is it a diverse group as far as the different types of DS or MS, or do you have a a certain focus of that grouping? Uh, It's actually super diverse. Uh, You would not think so considering the size of the the local populace. Uh, But, you know, we have, you know, daddies and littles. We have pet play here. We have, you know, people who are trying to emulate as well as possible the old school Mm -hmm. leather communities. We have, you know, people that are soft doms and uh, I mean, you name it. And we have it here, which is something that actually really struck with me pretty hard. I didn't realize that we were that diverse myself. I know who I am. And I feel like, you know, I follow old school leather tenets as best as I can because I feel like I understand that kind of protocol. And then as far as my, you know, area of expertise, I would consider myself to be, you know, an impact expert, regardless of the fact that I can do a lot of other things too. But when I looked around, I thought that I would only see people like me, (laughs) which was very, very wrong. So it's actually been a really cool learning experience for me to try and also help with these other types of people, even if I may not understand them, you know, trying to figure out how to get to the right person to get them help uh, or to look at a group of people and say, I simply don't understand this. It's not me. 
but I'm going to do everything I can to dive both feet in and learn about it so that I understand what you people are going through. I, I would hope that more people would do that. And then maybe this kind of a lifestyle would be more acceptable within the mainstream. But uh, for right now, I'll settle for doing my little part. <laughs> yeah. It, so for example, I was um, I keep seeing ads on Instagram because that's where I do a lot of my um, podcast outreach, even though Instagram has kind of gotten really sensory lately. But it's still kind of a good way social media wise to get things out. But I keep seeing um, ads for things like sin in the city out in Las Vegas, which, uh, and I think there's one right. in LA too, if I'm not mistaken, but that's where my mind really gets blown. When I look at the amount of diversity that has happened over the past, now that I feel old, say in the past, like 25 years, 30 years, but you know, back in the day when you went to an event, it was very old school. It was, you know, we're talking about, yeah, workshops included binding or how to cane or how to do uh, various things. And now it's just, you know, kind of like sunshines and rainbows and BDSM. And I was like, whoa, well, what the hell does that even mean? So it's it's interesting to watch how the community has started to integrate various other things into their kinks and into their lifestyles to start creating more very unique dynamics. I guess that's, that's the best way to put right. it. So it's no longer the, all right, we're either, you either have two flavors, you have DS or MS, which one you want to go for. Now I'm sure if I actually probably took a look at a list of all the different types of dynamics out there, my mind would probably just melt out of my head. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it's actually been a pretty interesting thing that's been going on. Uh, you know, like you were mentioning the the types of events that happen, you know, like say in my area in, in Oregon, we have, you know, there's like Leatherwoods and Summer Spank and Kink Fest and any, any number of smaller local events, club events, you know, cabaret events that turn into kink events things like that. There's there's just so much flavor out there. It's a great and I love it. It's also real confusing sometimes, like you were saying. But I think that that comes from the fact that people are starting to really get climb on board with the whole, uh, you know, communication, negotiation and consent, the big three. Mm -hmm. And so it, when you start really embracing those three, it becomes less about what exact flavor are you. It becomes more about how many flavors can you incorporate while still not violating these three major tenets. You know what I'm saying? It kind of gives you a little more of a, a palette to paint with, if you will. In episode one, when we talked to Mistress Clarissa, um, she had co-wrote a role-playing game uh, that was just simply called like BDSM, the fetish role-playing game or something. And again, you know, if our listeners haven't heard it, it's definitely a, a good episode to go back and check out. So when you think classic, and this is where I start diving into nerddom here, uh, when you start thinking about classic role-playing games, you're going to think Dungeons and Dragons. I'm going right. to roll dice, I'm going to go beat up orcs, I'm going to go slay the dragon. But the one amazing thing about this game, and I, I think I'll praise it until the end of time, I'm actually going to be using parts of it in my... Uh, so, alternative play, we're going to be doing a, uh, a seminar at um, Fetish Flea, or Fetish Flea Market in um, Rhode Island in a couple of months. And I'm actually going to use this game as kind of a basis as teaching. So. What it does is that, sure, you, there's different ways you can play it, but one of the ways to play it is in creating your character. It's actually very clever. It's a very cleverly disguised 
mechanism for learning negotiation and limits hmm. or a scene. And when I first saw that, I just, you know, head explode because it was like, wow, this is so hard to get a, a point across of what negotiation is and what limits are, what are hard limits, what are soft limits, why do they exist, why do we have contracts. This game actually takes your character generation and turns it into that negotiation, that contract, that set of things to perform scenes with. And I I bring it up because these are things that I I get really excited about because, again, in, in a larger community, someone that might come into it might run into a really bad situation where, oh, well, am I supposed to be trained? No, you're not. What about negotiation? No, you don't get negotiation. Well, things like this will actually teach you how to navigate that channel and hopefully educate enough that if someone did get into a dynamic, that this would have actually helped them formulate those ideas before jumping into something that might not have been that great. That sounds like a really good thing, and it's something that I definitely want to check out. I, I think it's a good way to relate to you know the younger generation of people. I, I know I'm not super old; I'm 42, um, but also you know, like we were talking about before, that whole black and white situation was very reliant on people who were good at what they did and not trying to be predatory, teaching people how to navigate those roles. And these days, people are so reliant on the internet and they're so device focused that something like that would be really great in order to help people learn how to communicate. You know, we have so many discussions in our community. We try and bring it around every so many months uh, for you know, negotiation, safety and protocol, things like that. And that's because people just simply don't even know. And it's so sad to hear, you know, somebody come in and say, well, this dominant told me to do this thing, this thing, and this thing. And I feel so abused, but there's nothing I can do about it because I'm a submissive and they're a dominant. And we're like, no way. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to back that train up because <laughs> there are some things you can do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, and those are the most important things, teaching how people how to, within the constructs of healthy communication, create a contract if they need one, create successful negotiations so that they get what they need and that they don't either on purpose or on accident, because it does happen sometimes get abused where somebody doesn't understand that what they're doing is abusive. But if you can communicate in that strong sort of way where you have a set of guidelines that you want to need, you have a negotiation that lays out what you're going to try and accomplish, and you have an understanding of how things should be done in a healthy way, we shouldn't be having these kinds of problems. No, absolutely. And there's other things too that a lot of times people don't ask. For example, um, something that I would definitely put into a negotiation or a contract is food allergies, believe it or not. Because if you are out on the town, you're taking your submissive out, and if it's within your dynamic that you order for her, you make your cho- the choices for her, you damn well better know what's going to not keep her from going into you know shock or <laughs> need an EpiPen. Right. right and, and as her dominant, you should also have her EpiPen. <laughs> you know so yeah i mean things like that do happen with uh you know one of my submissives has some physical problems and i definitely have to know how to react with that i can't just treat her in a way where it fully benefits everything that i want and doesn't safeguard her physicality or her emotional state um 
you know, one of the things that people don't think about so much is the fact that if it wasn't for the submissives, there would be no need for dominance, which would mean we would have nothing to do. So we should be a lot better at protecting the needs of our submissives in the communities. At least I would think so. So that falls very neatly into that same package where, you know, people should understand, submissives especially, that they have the power in the beginning or or anytime during actually because they can take away their submission but that they have the power to negotiate and make sure that their needs are taken care of that they can say hey this is part of my negotiation you have to acknowledge the fact that i have that food allergy and that if you're going to take my physical safety into the palm of your hand you will also make sure you have the devices of my safety right so it's it's you know this whole thing that new people don't really understand these days, which is that you have that opportunity to negotiate. And that's the most powerful thing you have. Absolutely. And actually, honestly, I can give you a hug right now for what you just said, but because I I completely believe that, yes, if a submissive does not give you that power within that power exchange, yeah, it's, it's very true. And a lot of, you know, you, you speak to a good number of doms that are just like, Puh, no, that's not it at all. They just do what I say. No, if they didn't allow you to, to give them commands, what would you be doing? I'd still be against like whatever. When someone else, I hear that someone else say that, that completely just makes me happy because um, I, I truly believe in that, that the submissive does have that power. And a lot of times they're told they don't. If not, I think the Dom is doing a disservice to them to not let them know that, hey, if we have a contract, this co- then the contract should say something like, if XYZ happens, this contract is null and void. Right. Or the possibility of making a new one. But, you know, the submissive, submissive does have the power to take that contract, whether it's, you know, virtual to delete it or physical to go rip, 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 look confetti that that is out there. And I think that needs to be understood, uh, especially for a submissive going into possibly a DS relation or MS relationship for the first time that they have that power and that that's awesome. So. I, I agree fully. And, uh, you know, like there are some resources out there. I, I know that the, the links will be given kind of at the end of this thing. And one of the things that I, try and do is make sure that I put links out on all of my social media stuff and where the groups are to, you know, just useful resources. But I wanted to kind of mention, you know, I don't even know if this person is still around, but her writings are on the internet. And so there's a, a, a person, a dominant called Mistress Shadowborn, and she basically contributed really heavily to a website called leatherandroses.com. And it goes through all of that, like the, this is what a negotiation is. Here is what an actual contract looks like. This is the expectation between what is in your fantasy and the reality of actually meeting your new dominant or meeting your new submissive. This is the reality of what it's like when you're, you have a 24 seven in air quotes submissive, which that's, that's not possible. Nobody's 24 seven, you know, as, as a titled master, I'm going to get the flu and need to be taken care of. <laughs> you know, so so this uh, website and a lot of her writings and some other people that kind of really glommed onto this goes a lot into you know basically just like the realities versus the super cool black and white picture memes that tell you how being a dominant and a submissive should be. Um, 
And I, and I think that's a really good thing. I'm hoping anybody who looks at any of my sites will check that out as well. After the interview, what I'll do is uh, make sure that I get of the links that you want to put on. And then when I do the show notes for the episode, I'll make sure those are all available right. at the end and everything. Kind of dipping our toes back into a little bit more of a nerdy topic, well, nerd and kink. And then I want to talk just a little bit about yourself outside of that. So you mentioned pirating and pirate ships and kink pirates. This this is exciting. Please tell. Yes. Uh, so in my area, there's actually a group. They used to be called Sea Dogs, and now they're called Port Nassau. But uh, they hold these four-day pirating events that are full immersion, usually in a large, multiple-acre gated area. And people will come and set up basically mock ships, and they will basically act like pirates for four days, getting very drunk and uh, <laughs> very flirtatious. Uh, but one of the things that we do at these events is my particular ship, we will bring a full dungeon with us. Um, oh, wow. I bring a, you know, a, a power setup so that there can be lights for safety because you don't want to try and flog or cane people in the dark. Uh, yeah. you know, and I'll bring like a St. Andrew's cross and a large cage and spanking benches and, you know, various multiple and sundry tools. And we will basically do full scenes while people are able to walk by and it's kind of like a, it's not assaulting people's consent because this is kind of a very hand in hand kink friendly event. You know, we'll do these full scenes where people are able to kind of just look and see what we're doing, see what a real scene actually looks like, see what it looks like for somebody to be put on a St. Andrew's cross and be flogged, you know, stuff like that. And then we do our best to try and explain to anybody who doesn't understand, this is why we're doing this. This is what we're doing. This is how you do it safely. So that way, hopefully those people who go and see that for that few seconds and say, hey, that was the coolest thing I ever saw, will also go home with a little bit of information on a, hey, if I want to maybe dip a toe into this community, I A, know some people or at least of them who who can direct me in the right direction. And B, this guy just told me how to safely not hurt somebody's back while I'm hitting them with a flogger. So that's kind of one of the things we do as a public outreach when we go and, and have our vacations. That is that is really amazing. Like everything you've talked about so far, I'm just going, wow, I kind of wish I was in Central Oregon to get to see some of this stuff. Well, you should go pirating with us. <laughs> that would be fun, actually. As far as our kind of local pirating scene goes, um, basically what happened is that you have the SCA events and they are kind of rigid with their rules. I mean, obviously flirtation is the national sport of the SCA, so it's fun. You know, the the person who started the pirating actually was like, you know, I don't want to have to worry about what stitches I have in my clothing. I want to go dress like a pirate, get lit, and maybe it's going to be fun and kinky at night. So they kind of did their own thing in it. It uh, at first it was all about that, but then it ballooned into this big, vibrant community and this really multifaceted thing where people are building like semi semi sized ships and you know with full riggings that you can climb up in and but they're on land. And then it's also all kinky people mostly. <laughs> so it's actually a really fun event to go and see. That's awesome. All right, so let's take a little bit of a, a step back from the kink community because 
you have a, a few interesting hobbies and passions that I'd kind of like to touch on before we before the end of the episode. So let's start with the um, off-grid sustainable living. Yeah, um, basically, I've always kind of had a knack for inventing stuff and uh, basically creating something out of something else. And so that kind of lends itself well to the fact that I looked around and I thought, you know, like most other people, I'm going to struggle trying to purchase a regular stick-built house house with, you know, spotless credit in the suburban utopia. And I started thinking outside the box, you know, what what can I do to actually have an interesting life and not live my life to pay a payment? And uh, I ended up purchasing property in in, uh, the badlands of Central Oregon out in the desert and building some cabins on it. And it just kind of took off from there. you know, I started learning a lot about how to how how to do permaculture, basically, which is like the art of living sustainably, making sure that you're creating your own ecosystem that fully supports itself. And I am definitely not anywhere close to being 100% on that. It's it's a multi-year process of learning more each year and implementing the things that I've learned. But, uh, you know, we're doing things like uh, building our heated greenhouse with aquaponics so that our fish can fertilize our, our food. And then our food waste goes back into the ground as fertilizer to grow more food or to feed animals. We raise our own animals and we're, we're trying to get to the point where we're 100% sustainable on that too. And basically the the notion is we don't ever want to have to set foot into a grocery store or, or any kind of store for that matter, unless we feel like it and we want to. We don't want to do it out of necessity. Yeah, which you find, you know, I live in suburbia, so grocery stores aren't a kind of, they are a necessity. Mm-hmm. But that, I mean, that's great though, that a grocery store becomes something that if you, if you want to go to one, you can, if not, it's there. Also, you know, I mean, if you look at a lot of the law, a lot of states right now are really putting in some really great things. Like a lot of them are get rid of plastic, like right. know, plastic bags off the shelf, things like that. And sure, it helps a little bit, but I, you know, we're doing hybrid cars now and, you know, not a lot of people are into them, but there are good, they're really expensive. And that's one of the points is that, well, I can be really, you know, eco-friendly but it's going to cost me the cost of a house so right it, it's really hard to, to go with that but that's that's really impressive you know and definitely i think that as you, as you go and start building this stuff i hope that other people take notice in your area or maybe even somehow see what you're doing and maybe take it back with them to another state, Utah, which definitely has a lot of open land that could definitely be used for, uh, for such things. So, yeah, we, you know, right now we create all of our own power through wind and solar, and we have these really cool cabins that are set up in exactly the way that we want. And in order to be able to spread that to the people that we know, you know, we can do things since we have a, a decent amount of property, like have a kink event out where we live. And then every single person who comes out there sees how we're generating our own power, how we've built our own stuff, how our animals are helping to contribute to the fertilizer of the things that we eat and so on and so forth. So in a small way, that also helps to create an outreach for that too. I've had a lot of people who, you know, will see my cabin and because I'm showing them like 
check out my cabin. I have all of these hard points everywhere where I can tie somebody up. But then they're noticing, you know, hey, there's also a wind turbine there. <laughs> and I noticed that you're getting your power from the sun. And then I can launch into that whole tirade of this is why this is so great. <laughs> that That is amazing. At some point, you know, if you have examples of your stuff online or something, I, I personally would love to see what, what that looks like you know, yeah. ultimately. So now you have a passion for motorcycles and I, I see riding, but is it riding or do you collect them or what, where are you with motorcycles? Uh, so I like cruisers and being able to take long rides. Uh, but I also really like nerdy stuff like Wastelands Weekend. So like right now I am working on turning the, my current motorcycle uh, into a rat cycle, which is basically where you take a lot of time and effort to make them look like they're post-apocalyptic, but they're actually really well built. And uh, my goal is to be able to ride my own rat bike at Wastelands Weekend uh, the next time that it comes around. So that's kind of like one of my big passions is working on the mechanics of motorcycles and taking something that maybe somebody would look at and go, oh, that's just a old motorcycle and making it a post-apocalyptic work of art that I can then ride around on. Now, Wasteland Weekend, that just kind of really raised my eyebrow. What's Wasteland Weekend? This, again, oh, I did not cool. know you've never heard of that. <laughs> so, no. So that is also, it's it's kind of like a rent fair event, but it's it's people that uh, are, you know, showcasing dystopian society and post-apocalyptic situations. And so it's this big music and automobile and motorcycle event out in the deserts in California where the salt flats are. And basically they have a big, you know, a lot of music. There's You camp there and then people dress up as if they're like from Mad Max and they have all these really fantastic post-apocalyptic vehicles that then they will race across the salt flats or ride around in in the dunes. It's actually something you might want to take a look at online because you may want to be there. <laughs> that sounds... Oh, I like, I'm sold. I'm beyond sold. That just... I'm even thinking of what I would wear to something like that right now. So that is really neat. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's, I'm definitely going to look that up. Well, if you're looking for something to wear, you have... Uh, almost all year to design something for yourself. <laughs> Back in the day, and um, when I was a teenager, I was very into the goth scene and used to love that like Fields of the Nephilim post-apocalyptic goth look. And it's just like going, oh my God, I would totally love to emulate that. Oh, yeah, you would have fun. So uh, you also mentioned that you like to do photography. Yes. Uh, most of that for me, if anybody is following after this on my social media, you'll you'll see I'm very into photography and I like taking, uh, you know, either pictures of scenes with, you know, submissives or uh, various scenarios like uh, one that I'm going to be working on soon is uh, we have this place called Crack in the Ground, which is a three mile long subduction zone. And uh, even in the summertime, there's like ice at the bottom of it because it's about 100 feet deep. And uh, I'm going to wedge a uh, construction grade piece of bamboo in between the rocks and then do a suspension down in this crevasse basically <laughs> so uh stuff like that you know and and my photography is basically uh mostly i should say kink uh centered although i did have a new child so now it's a lot of uh infant centered <laughs> <laughs> all right so we will go ahead here and before we uh go into our outro where can people find you 
Well, basically, if you are on FetLife and you type in Rebel Kink into the groups, that way you don't need any URLs or, or uh, hot links or anything like that. You can find us and I'm Master Wide Owl on there. So you can always hit me up and say hello. And I'm always willing to talk to anybody. I cannot remember the link for the MeWe. It's one of those uh, long ones like MeWe groups at something, something. But uh, that should be on there afterwards, too. Um, that link will go directly to a group that I have called Kink Connection. Uh, and that's basically for anybody who wants to be in the group with us, uh, regardless of whether they're in Central or Southern Oregon or not. And then from there, you know, basically, if we find people that are are also from our neck of the woods, we'll we'll move them into our actual Rebel Kink group, which I don't typically give out. I usually add people one by one. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. And I'll definitely speak for the MeWe group. I'm one of the members. Uh, it is actually a very tasteful and a very good community, uh, especially MeWe can tend to be a little crazy sometimes when you enter some of the kink communities there. But um, this was actually really tasteful, well done. And it's probably one of the two <laughs> kink count that I <laughs> actually enjoy. So. Right. I'm guessing the other one's a Gorian themed one, right? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> If you have feedback on this episode, questions you'd like to ask, or suggestions, send them over to host at alternative-play.com. Or check us out on the web at www.alternative-play.com. And don't forget our Patreon at patreon.com slash alternative underscore play. Yeah, we have an underscore in this one. All right, and thank you for joining us uh, for this episode of Alternative Play. Remember, dragons are not the only thing that play in dungeons, so keep your gaming kinky, safe, and consensual.